0: with the DEPA subscription.
1: I was trying to transfer some things over from his laptop because he wanted to start his own thing. He didn't want to work in the business anymore. And all of these photos started flooding through his iMessage. And he had sent her screenshots of us in a disagreement and said, don't worry, I'll be leaving her when I get back.
0: Welcome to The Deep, I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present, and emerging, We spoke to Serena last week about her life growing up in a satanic cult. But after leaving, her life didn't get any simpler. The man she married turned out to be a narcissistic cheater, and the story of their relationship is just beyond bizarre. Content warning this episode discusses self harm and suicide. Resources will be linked in the show notes. Serena,
1: welcome back to the deep. Thank you for having me back. I'm sure we need more than 30 minutes, but it's going to be good.
0: (laughs) We need a lot of time together. We need a lot of time. I want to pick up where we left off, which was you kind of dot pointing out your life post leaving your mom. You'd had a child and you'd met your husband. Can you tell me about him and what that marriage was like?
1: Well, let me tell you who I met and then who I married. Wow. <laughs> we were together for two years b- prior to getting married. And I had never experienced a love like that in my entire life. He was charismatic and like thoughtful and empathetic and compassionate and just everything that you could imagine that you would want in a man. Uh I, I just I got home from a work trip and he had painted this huge canvas of like a portrait of me. Like I it's just like things like that that will just blow your mind. Um Everything he did was very, very thoughtful. All the way down to leading up to the wedding, he made every single bouquet. Like, Oh, wow. Yes, that's the kind of person he was. So he loved to sing and play guitar. So he would sing me to sleep at night. And on our wedding day, the one song that was like our song He might, because we were blending our families together, by this point, his son was about two and a half and my daughter was five and my my son was um, nine. So you have this, like these young children. He had my son playing the cajon drum while I walked down the aisle while he played the guitar. And sang I'll Be by Edwin McCain, which was this song that was like, I'll be a better man when I'm older, you know, all these things. So that's who he was. We did a family trip from. So our wedding was in Napa, which is like a beautiful wine country type place. And we did a family honeymoon trip road trip and in one of the memories I have we stopped at this little like beach area and for some reason he was like he was the kind of person where like animals gravitated towards him and I have a photo I know this is so weird I have a photo of him and the three kids sitting together with squirrels surrounding them on their shoulders in his hands like that is who he was okay so now imagine two weeks after my wedding day I'm back in my office I was a VP of marketing at the time I hadn't started the agency yet I was in the executive suite so there's no receptionist but All the executives were out for lunch. And I heard the door open. And I look up and I see a woman, and she's staring straight into my office. And she says my name. She comes into my office and closes the door behind her. She sits down. She describes my house, my kids. She tells me that she's been with my husband for over a year. At this point, she says that he betrayed her, that she thought he was leaving me for her. This was two weeks after my wedding day. And she sent me 300 messages Emails, text messages, videos, images, all of the things that they sent between each other. And many of them um, mocking me. Uh. Obviously, others, sexual, you know, photos, videos, all of the above. The mocking me hurt me the most. And in that moment, it was like I had him on this pedestal and the pedestal shattered. I couldn't function. I, she said, Serena, he's not going to believe you if you tell him I came here. We need to confront him together. Now, remember, I almost feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience because I'm comforting her
0: Oh, wow. Because
1: I, I just feel like this is not real, right? I can't even place myself into this scenario. So she said, text him that you left something in his car. We'll go to his office or his work and um, we'll meet him in the back alley. I followed her every direction. I could not function on my own. And we get there and I'm still in complete shock. I can't communicate. I can't do anything at this point because it's just like my entire world just blew up. It went from this amazing wedding, two years of my life, bringing our families together, bringing our kids together, moving into a new place. Like I was. I was utterly in shock. So he gets my text message and steps out. He opens the door and steps out into the back alley. At that moment, she grabs my hand. It as if like we're unified and I still couldn't speak. (laughs) I still, I was literally, I was frozen. And he fell to his knees on the concrete, screaming and crying and yelling at her, telling her that you ruined my life. You, you know, fucking bitch. I can't believe that you would ever do this. Everything she says is lies. And I just walked away. Like, I was like, I can't. I can't do this. And... I felt like I was in their love triangle. So I I like run. <laughs> like I because it's either fight, flight or freeze. Well, I was frozen for that entire period and then I just started running. And I got in my car and it was like so much like was just weighing on me all at the same time I couldn't even drive. So I pulled into Like a side street, because I was just, I was, I was just in a place where I could not drive. And I'm crying, I'm bawling. All of those emotions that were frozen for that period of time came out. He finds me, he pulls up behind me, sits in the car, and he says, Like, I, I can't imagine, I know I don't deserve you. I can't live without you. And that's the first time he says, I don't deserve to live. And from that moment, it felt like the next 10 years of our marriage, those moments kept happening. And every time he was unfaithful it would go back to, I can't believe I did this to you, so I'm going to hurt myself. And then I would go into protected, protection mode. If I left, he would hurt himself. If I sure. did this, he would hurt himself. And there was many occasions where the first occasion, which was this, um, the first woman in, in this scenario he, you know, it, it had been about a week and I had to go back to the, like, I could not be away from work. I would just gone taken weeks off for my honeymoon and my wedding. So I, the next week I was, I was just pretending that everything was fine. I was working, you know, normal, like nothing had ever happened. He called me in the middle of the day and he was belligerent and saying he's going to to hurt himself all these things. And I was like stay where you are. I'll come check on you on my lunch hour. I drive home on my lunch hour. Now remember, I can't process any of my own emotions because I'm filtering through all of his. I get to the house, I run upstairs, he's not responding. I go into the bedroom. There's he's on the floor completely unresponsive there is a half a handle of vodka that has it's almost completely gone some sort of pills sitting next to it that are within an empty bottle and he's not waking up he's not responding so i call 911 because now I'm panicking, because I don't know how to get him. Like, I literally think that he has either overdosed or or something's happened. Well, the police arrive before the ambulance do. And the moment the police walk in the house, he gets up, runs down the stairs and out the back door from the police. The police go trying to track him down, try to chase him. They can't find him anywhere. Uh, meanwhile, my parents are staying with me, but they're not home at this point. My kids are about to get home from
0: school. And he's gone. He faked an overdose? Yes. And he's gone. I
1: And I know that he has been drinking, but I think that whatever he set up and whatever he was doing was to just, manipulate at, of course, you. In, in, in my mind, of course, that's all I thought. But now I'm, now I'm just confused because I'm still processing what just happened, let alone what's happening in front of me. The police leave, at least I think they, they tell me, here's our phone number, call us, you know, when he comes back. Later that evening, I hear the door open. The kids are asleep. My parents are in their room. And I'm just relieved that he's safe because I don't know. I just know this is crazy. And five seconds after I closed the door behind him, the police are at the door. They were waiting for him. At this point, they come in, they arrest him for a 5150. My parents are awake. My oldest son is at the top of the stairs. And I am completely exposed in this moment. And they take him to a 48-hour hold. And uh, at this point now I have to explain because I didn't tell anyone Mm -hmm. what had happened because I was so humiliated and I was still trying to process it because of all of the threats of self-harm. And so that was within the first two weeks after our marriage started.
0: You said you stayed with him for 10 years. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not Girl, judging wrong, you. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I promise I'm not. It's because, you know, we need to get through the next 10 years to where you are now. And I'm just like, holy moly. You had children to him? No. Okay.
1: So the, one, the one interesting thing is we never had children together because we had I had two and he had one and it was like mm-hmm. a perfect combination. Got it. But the reason the reason the first time I was like okay. I'm not going to let this break our marriage. Let's work through this. Mm-hmm. We did extensive like marriage therapy. We went to you know, experiential like workshops, working through all of our deep rooted childhood issues. Right. And then we healed the first time we healed. The second time was just a few years later after I started the agency and he was, and he was overseeing all the sales for the agency. I was doing everything else behind the scenes the second time, completely different woman. I deteriorated. And at this point, I didn't tell anyone other than our marriage counselor, because I was, I had too much to lose now. Now our children had been together for two years prior and now three years, you know, married. So for five years, our children have been together. They're still young. They're still in elementary school. One was in junior high. I, I just couldn't tell the family. Also, he worked in the business. I could not expose that to the business because now that would be a whole nother disaster. So not only would I lose everything, I, I just, I looked at it like I need to be strong. I, if I, we worked through the first time, maybe there's underlying issues and we can work through it again. But I kept deteriorating to the point of where I, it led to a miscarriage. So we weren't planning on having children together. In fact, he had gotten a vasectomy after the first woman. Well, come to find out, now three years later, he never went back to see if the vasectomy actually fully worked. So first, he accused me of cheating. And I was definitely not in a place to be cheating at all. I was trying to run a business, trying to run a family of five. Like there's no way that I would have been able to even find love if I tried. But I was in shock because I was like, this is not, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a false positive, right? i I took millions of tests. I went to different doctors. And I didn't trust those doctors, so I went to other ones. <laughs> Finally, they did an ultrasound and they said, "You are definitely pregnant, but there is no heartbeat." And I was four months pregnant. They don't explain what happens during um, that process, but it is it felt like... And, and the embarrassing part is that when it happened, I was sitting across from one of my employees and I was hiding this stuff. Remember, I'm hiding all of these things, trying to be strong for everyone. Um, I was in my home office. She had come to my home office. And I literally could feel like a burst and a puddle of blood dripping down my legs and my mom and my dad were living with me at the time again and i texted my mom and i said can you help me i need i need this employee her name was jaden to to leave i told her i wrapped up the meeting all proper <laughs> you love how strong i am i wrapped up the meeting all proper <laughs> And I sent her on her way. And my mom's like, oh, yes, let me just take you out. And uh, I text Kyle and let him know what was happening. My mom wrapped a towel around me and the towel was just soaked. And I went into the bathroom downstairs and it was just, it would just not stop. It, it, it just felt like it was constant. And I get in the shower after I'd gone, you know, to the bathroom or sat on the toilet to allow most of it to come out. And after I got in the shower, I hear someone else in the bathroom and I peek through the shower curtain and it's Kyle and he is sifting through the blood in the toilet with a coat hanger. And I, I I was just... Taking pictures of it. What's he looking for? I, I don't know. Evidence. I like I, I don't know. He'd re- he'd gotten the confirmation that his vasectomy didn't work. He had already been with someone else. This is the second woman. And I'm I'm like just I couldn't even speak in that moment because my body was going through so much trauma. That I, I put my clothes back on, confu- just completely nauseated and confused by the whole situation. I had to wrap a towel around, you know, my waist and, you know, under my legs on the way to the hospital because I wouldn't stop bleeding. And he never showed up. And I was just destroyed.
0: This is now 5 years into the marriage, is it? How mm-hmm. how oh, where are we? About 5 years. Yeah. This person, this man, has he ever been diagnosed with anything like when the therapist you guys saw her and all of the behaviors was he ever diagnosed?
1: No. And I write about it in my book in intense detail (laughs) because he would project that I was crazy and then show up as he's trying, he's this empathetic, kind-hearted husband that's trying to do everything he can to earn back my trust. And I, at one point, I just remember looking at him like, who is this man? Like, I just couldn't I just couldn't see it. I didn't know much about different um, bipolar disorder. I didn't. I knew that there was narcissist involved. I didn't even know what gaslighting was until after I left, because it wasn't like I was researching what's wrong with him. I was in so much pain, and I was deteriorating that I was like trying to survive. Right. I was trying to protect my family by pretending everything was okay. And I would tuck the kids in bed. And I would I would go in the closet and cry and drink, cry and drink. Like I was on a downward spiral. And I could not lift myself out of it. It was just like a dark
0: shadow had come over me. It sounds like you know um know if it's psychopathic or but it sounds very destructive did he have something in his childhood that you became aware of was there any type of abuse or you know your childhood is no. I, I i mean you you get you get the award for winning the <laughs> most you know you have the most reasons to to be you know acting like he is not him acting like he is so what are his reasons so I didn't know at the time but well I
1: did know that he was taking steroids I knew that oh okay but what I did not know is that he was using cocaine and other drugs that I wasn't aware of Mm -hmm. And so that added to the behavior.
0: But it didn't excuse the behavior. Yeah, it would have exacerbated. Yeah, the underlying stuff is still there. Who he is at his core is, you know, pretty fucked up. And if you asked him,
1: he would blame his father. Okay. But it's because he always had this very competitive relationship with his father Um, Kyle was more of, he wanted more attention. He wanted more of this. He wanted more of that. So I could never give him enough. Mm. And it wasn't until the third woman, literally days before I found out about her, I talked to my counselor and I said, he's apathetic. There's like nothing there. Like, it's almost like he's cold towards me. There's nothing I can do. I can't heal enough. I can't forgive enough. Like, I, and you can imagine how many times I've forgiven. <laughs> like, I have forgiven a lot. I said, I can't work hard enough. Like, I'm not a good enough mother. Like, but I am. I said, I'm an awesome mother. I'm awesome in bed. I have sex with him literally. Not just four times a week, like, you know, like I literally will do it four times a day if that's what he wants. I was like, okay, like if, if I needed to keep him happy, I was willing to work for it Wow, and earn it. And my counselor told me in this one moment, he said, Serena, you may be all of these things. You may be an incredible mother. You may be an incredible wife, an incredible provider. But you cannot earn love. It has to be freely given. But remember, in my childhood, I had to sacrifice myself. And that's how I earned love. And I didn't recognize my own, right? Like I didn't recognize my own obstacle was that I kept trying to earn, earn, earn love. Protect his integrity, protect the kids, protect the business. And when I recognized that I can't earn that, it was like this light shed. It just shed so much light in that moment. And a few days after is when I found out about the third woman. And he was on a hunting trip. And I was home. I was trying to transfer some things over from his laptop because he wanted to start his own thing. He didn't want to work in the business anymore. And all of these photos started flooding through his iMessage. And he had sent her screenshots of us in a disagreement and said, don't worry, I'll be leaving her when I get back. And so at that moment, I just let it all out. I stopped hiding. I told my family. I did not tell his family. I didn't feel like that was my place at this point, except I did tell Facebook, which didn't help.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Same, 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 same.
1: But I told Facebook... On his behalf, because I just logged into his account and said, "Wow, okay." It is this deep sympathy that I needed to confess that I have been unfaithful to my wife, and she has left me. That is, I'm so that person. I don't know what came over me in that moment, other than my daughter cheering me on. Um, and I packed all my things. I actually cleaned the house. I took out anything that was dangerous. I took. I packed the butter knives. I checked every wow. pocket and every single suit to make sure there was nothing in the house that could, he could hurt himself with. And the one thing that I did say to his uncle that he was on the hunting trip is I said, please make sure he does not have access to any firearms.
0: Yes. And we were gone. You knew instinctively that leaving him he would hurt himself. You had an instinct because he'd done this before.
1: Because every time, every time there was another woman, he had had an episode
0: like the first time. Okay. And so can I, this is a really big question, right? You tried to save him, protect him for all of those years. You knew there was a chance that he would follow through or make an attempt if you left, which is not your responsibility. But how did you, were you just so in protection of yourself that it was like, it's either me or you, like I've got to look after me, I've got to go, whatever you choose to do is your choice. Like how did you make that decision?
1: I had to separate myself from the situation, knowing that I cannot control any of his actions. There's nothing that I can do or say other than nurture, protect, right? When he does come back, I can mm-hmm. you know, guide him through that moment, but there is nothing that I can do to change his behavior. And so I knew that what I had to do was to protect myself. To protect my kids. Because it became, I mean, the second woman, which I didn't mention because I was trying to shorten it for you. He left that night drunk, driving, and sending me photos of cutting himself. Okay. So... So do you see, like, it was a constant.
0: Yeah. There was yeah, one
1: yeah. one time we were wrestling on the floor. He had a gun in his mouth. Like, I was aware that this was no joke, but I was also aware that I had no control.
0: Okay, okay. So tell me then you leave. He comes home. He sees the Facebook post. Do you avoid all calls from him? What is your next contact
1: I only left the Facebook post up for an hour because I panicked realizing that holy shit not only everyone that he follows is gonna see this or that follows him our clients follow him so I just lost my mind yeah okay so I took a screenshot I deleted it done But I sent him that screenshot. I had my phone on long enough for him to call me when he got that screenshot. And he says, I don't know. My Facebook was hacked. I don't know what happened. And I said, I posted that. And he's like, why the fuck would you do that? Screaming at me. And I said, this was your choice. I just wanted to let you know that I did that. I took it down and I've already gotten a new place. The house has the furniture, has all your things in its place. You have everything that you need. I said, I have all the firearms. I have an attorney and I have already filed for divorce. And he gets home the next day and he's like, well, I don't think any of that's necessary. And I said, it's already done. And I hung up and I blocked his number.
0: Oh, I got shivers. But
1: then, remember, I had to go to my office and tell my staff. So I go into my office. I, I tell my staff, here I am again. I'm strong. I'm mighty. I'm small but mighty. And I go in and I'm like, You know, we're going through this divorce and I just want you guys to know that, you know, 2020 is going to be because I left in October of 2019. I'm like, 2020 is going to be even better. We're going to rock it and we, you know, we don't need all this and we're going to, you know, we're going to get through it. We literally had a glass of champagne. We're cheersing and we kind of like separate and I hear the chatter, the murmur. And I say, hey, guys, we have a no tolerance policy for gossip. And my son worked in the business at this point because he's 18. He says, mom, they're not gossiping. I said, what? Kyle had been with Jaden the one that sat across from me when I had the miscarriage. She had given him cocaine. They'd been doing it together. She had left literally a month prior. And she'd cried on my shoulder several times because she was having problems in her marriage. And I was trying to comfort her. And she said she had to leave. And I had no idea That the whole time, that was another woman that he was with.
0: Wow. I know.
1: By the time I, I got my spy hat on and I started to unravel all of this, it was probably a total of 13 women. Wow. I just kept forgiving kept trying to find like what i could have done differently kept trying to figure out why i wasn't healing why my body was deteriorating kept trying to figure out how to how to fix my marriage kept trying to figure out how to run a business <laughs> like i was just in the dark and the fact that everyone including yeah. my kids knew was probably the most devastating feeling I've ever had. Mm. We probably need a part three.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about when you found him or how you heard. Okay. So between
1: me leaving him and, him in October and by the way I have never felt so weightless I felt like I was floating if you could see a photo of me literally two weeks after and two weeks before leaving him I look like completely different it's like this stress and this weight just came off me. It was the most beautiful like feeling I'd ever had. So I was like, nothing could knock me down. But then COVID hit. (laughs) And all these things are happening. However, I left him on October 19th. And by November, he had a completely new woman in his life. Um, none of which that were on the list of the women before. And they were toxic together. They were very like volatile. It was a very unhealthy relationship. Mm. Um, He had moved into a city that was, is kind of like a gated community, which is known for a lot of um, drama, parties, all kinds of things. So I knew that he was reliving all of his bachelor life all over again. He'd gotten a stripper pole in the center of his living room. I mean, he was going all out. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure he was still using At that time. Um, So I had really tried to keep everything compartmentalized. I didn't read any of the emails. I, you know, I didn't read his text messages. I would just file them. And unless I knew that it was something important. And I tried to be really thoughtful about every response. Because remember, I still know what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And so I was very sensitive and very thoughtful. I get a call from this woman. Um, we'll call her Vanessa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she shares with me on the, don't ask me why she thought to call his wife that he's going through this divorce with, but she did. And she spews out all this information that he took her to Napa, where obviously where we were married, asked her to marry him in Napa, does all these things. And then she goes into saying that she thinks that he's with other women and she's not sure, but it created this big argument. And when she said she was leaving, then he threatened to take his life. To kill himself. Mm-hmm. And she said yeah. I. She's like, I think it's bullshit. And, you know, he's just trying to manipulate me. And I said, I would never take someone else's life like a grain of salt. So just be sensitive to how you approach that situation. But I also need to say, you do need to speak with someone, but that someone is not me. Fair. And then I hung up Mm -hmm. because she was exploding so much information and it wasn't healthy for me to hear it. And then a few days later, I, I get a text from him saying something like she's out of my life. She's crazy. Um, You know, COVID just hit. I'm there. Everyone's on lockdown. If you and the kids want to come stay with me, you know, you know, we'll we'll be on lockdown together. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I've gotten mm-hmm. him taken care of. Like, it's it's good. But thank you so much for thinking of me. What I didn't realize is that that would have been his cry for help. But it's not my responsibility to save no. him anymore. Because I would have sacrificed myself to save
0: him. We'd be back there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I was in healing mode. Like I was like healing on steroids. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, so a few days later, I get a text message in the middle of the night. And remember, he's never apologized for any of these things other than I'll never do this again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And X, Y, Z, right. But never really owned it and apologized. And so this night, I get a text message from him that says, I'm so sorry for all the pain that I have caused. And I'm so grateful for all the memories we shared. And I just thought to myself, like, wow, he finally is making progress. Like this is a beautiful moment. And I said, thank you so much. That means the world to me. Like, I'm so glad that you can see the pain that you've caused. Like I was just, I was just so grateful in that moment. And I go back to sleep. And I wake up in the morning and I have like just eight or nine missed calls from Vanessa. And I have one voicemail I cannot understand. So I call her back and she is blubbering and screaming and I can't understand the words she's saying. All she keeps saying is, you're the next of kin, you're the next of kin. And then somebody grabs a phone from her and says, Kyle's in the hospital and you're the only one that can visit him. So I hang up. The hospital just happens to be, literally, I can see it from outside my window. Mm -hmm. Like it's not more than a block away. Mm -hmm. So I'm running down the stairs. My daughter comes out. I say, no, stay home. I, I I just need to figure out something's happening. I'm like sliding down the stairs. My son's in bed. He jumps out of bed. We're flustering around and my son's like mom I'll come with you. I'm like okay. So we get in the car, drive a block, and I run into the hospital and I'm just completely confused. And my son's saying I you know, like I'm getting all these messages like like you posted something on Facebook that said enough. And I'm like, okay, I don't know I don't I don't know what's happening. Like let's just let's just figure this out. They bring us into a dark room, which is odd because normally you'd wait in the waiting room and they bring you into
0: a yeah, room yeah, to see yeah.
1: And we're sitting in there and I said, I don't, I've never been in this room. I don't feel good about this. And my son's like, no, well, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I'm like, okay. Like everything's fine. <laughs> and a detective and a nurse walk in and, And they sit down and they say, um, there was an incident last night and your, um, Vanessa was there with her daughter at the house. Something happened between them. And during that time, she got scared she ran outside because she heard that there was a gunshot. She called the police. The police came in through the back door and, and right before they can ask Kyle to put down his gun, he picked up his gun and placed it against his head and pulled the trigger in front of the police officer. And I said, can I see him? Like, I, I'm i thinking in my mind that he's surviving. Like, okay, so he, he shot himself. Okay, so is he okay? And they're like, no. We brought him in this morning, and he died on the operating table. I'm so sorry. And I I just was I I just was in a place where I thought that message that I got from him was so special. Finally he's owning his part. Finally he sees this. He's making progress. He's no longer with her. And then to have all of that unfold. It was, um, and then I remember I never told his family about any of the women. I never told his family why we separated or were going through a divorce. And now his family is running towards me as I'm walking out of the hospital. And now I, I have to unfold and unpack the last 10 years of our lives. And that was just the beginning. he had canceled his insurance so there's over 200,000 in medical bills. I didn't realize that when the coroner comes in to take his body that they leave all of the mess behind. and so there's... Literally, not just packing up his house and cleaning it. But there's a whole nother side to this where the blood splatter all over the couch, the bullet holes need to be patched up. It was it was the unraveling and the aftermath that I did not put in my book. That is an entirely it could be an entirely like its own book. Because it was so bizarre and so, because when somebody takes their life, it it doesn't just impact them, of course, they think they're saving everyone else from, from themselves. But in reality, I just had multiple calls from all these different women that found me on Facebook. I had people pretending to be other people. I had, I mean, it was it was like a hurricane. All the while I'm trying to plan a memorial that was a virtual memorial in the middle of COVID.
0: Oh, Serena, this is, I do, I mean, do we need part three? <laughs> this is just... <laughs> Your life has been incredibly traumatic and you have got this wonderful still energy about you, this lightness and this joy and this sense of humour that is just astounding, astounding. For those people that want to hear all the bits in between, you have written a book. So we're going to leave that link in our show notes. We do have one final question for you today because I know we could go on forever. The question is, who are you when no one's watching? Oh, that is such a good question.
1: I am the same person that you see and that you hear now when no one's watching because I know myself.
0: Mm. Thank you so much for being with us on The Deep. This You are you're truly incredible. I really appreciate your courage with sharing with us today.
1: I adore you. And
0: I am just so grateful to be here to share my story with you. And I know there are so many more facets and we may need you on again, but I am deeply appreciative of your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.